Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Hey there, Compass Church. Terry here. And it's my week to do the message. So as you know, um, this year we are doing everything that we can do to simply focus in on Jesus. We want to live the way he lived, think the way he thought, and do the things he taught. So with this goal in mind, we are going verse by verse through the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew is a biography of the life of Jesus. And right now, we're in Matthew 5. It's also referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, um, sometimes referred to as the Beatitudes. And side note, I looked up the word Beatitude, and it means extreme blessedness. (laughs) So Jesus is saying these people are not just blessed, they are extremely blessed, okay? And Jesus is taking the teaching of the day, the belief of the day, and he's kind of turning it on its head because he's saying you're blessed if you're poor, You're blessed if you're in mourning. Um, And the belief of the day, and honestly, I think we tend to believe this too, is that, you know, if you're rich, well, then you're blessed. And if you're successful, you're blessed. (laughs) If you're sick or poor, you're not blessed. And you may even be cursed. And you guys, I picked this week on purpose because I knew that we were talking about blessed are they that mourn. And I've had a lot of opportunity to walk through grief. And honestly, I thought this message would be a piece of cake, really easy for me to do. Now, what's often the case is when you start to study a passage or a Bible story that you think you know really well, um, then sometimes God just opens your eyes and shows you something new. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, 4, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. We associate mourning with death. The loss of someone dear to us is terrible. Death brings separation from the one we love. It changes everything. And the grief of it can be debilitating. Nothing in life seriously goes unaffected when there is a close death in the family. Loss consumes the heart and mind. It's heavy, it's sad, and it's final. Seriously, nobody aspires to be in mourning. No one's like, oh, I can't wait for the time I experience great loss and I get to be in mourning again. That'll be so great. (laughs) No, that would be crazy. But then Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn or blessed if you're a King James fan. Basically, he's saying happy are the sad. Side note, just if you happen to be in a season of mourning right now, I want you to know that you are so loved by God. You are so seen, you are carried, you are cared for. And I know that you didn't try to get here, but here you are, dear one, and you will be comforted, you will. Okay, so in Jesus' day, there was a lot that happened when there was a death, right? The law required that the dead be buried the day they died. Um, And then there would be a seven-day mourning period. For more well-known people, they might have a longer mourning period. There would be a special meal with mourners remaining in the house with friends or family for a week. Clothes were torn. Traditional grooming stopped. Marital relations stopped. All entertainment basically stopped. 
Some mourners would wait 30 days to cut their hair, and other mourners would shave their heads and put ashes on their heads to show that they are in a time of mourning. You guys, they had professional mourners who would play instruments and chant dirges, and it was just a big deal that mourning be done for everyone who passed away. Um, the rabbinical rules allowed for even the poorest of people to have two flute players and a wailing woman. Hmm, fun fact. Is it fun? I don't know. Anyway, we don't have uh, wailing women and flute players at our funerals um, in modern day, but we do have lots of things that we do to jump in and alleviate the pain of those who are experiencing loss, right? We have an urgent need to send flowers, make casseroles, um, send a sympathy card, send a text, write on their Facebook wall, um, support a GoFundMe to help with expenses. Do whatever we can, right? So I remember when I was 14 and my grandmother was in hospice. She just had a couple days left and they weren't letting me go up and visit her anymore. She was in her 50s and dying of cancer. And I'm gonna say this out loud, so that the secret is out, this is going to shock my family, but you guys, I was her favorite. <laughs> but who could blame her for having a favorite? Because it was me, and I was great, and she was great, and we were besties. And anyway, 14-year-old Terry Lynn was very sad. And my Aunt Teresa and Uncle Bill wanted to alleviate my heart hurt. And so they had me over to their house and Uncle Bill had purchased a couple go-karts, right? And so sometimes we'd go over there or ride them and I always had to wait my turn. And there would always be two go-karts going at the same time. And I always got nervous when one of my boy cousins would pass me because they would go so fast and it freaked me out. But on this day, I got to drive a go-kart all by myself no waiting for a turn, and no like two laps and you're done. Like it was like 30 minutes. And I had Amy Grant on my Walkman and on my headphones, and I just went lap after lap after lap. And I remember feeling so thankful for the distraction and I felt really close to God. And I also crashed it into the uh, railroad ties, but Uncle Bill let me off the hook. <laughs> so. Anyway, it's right that we do something when someone's experienced loss, right? We want to try to help carry the hurt, alleviate the pain of separation. Now, when Jesus had died on the cross, um, those who were close to him were devastated. His, Mary, uh, his mother Mary and, of course, Mary Magdalene and John, they all stayed to the end. They were present at the cross. Like, they didn't run away like so many had. And they were so sad. And then there was this guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And he was an esteemed religious ruler, and he was a follower of Jesus, like, in secret. Um, and he wanted to help, and he asked for permission to take Jesus' body. And Pilate led him, okay? And so he risked so much by coming forward. He risked his reputation, because um, it was dangerous to be sympathetic to Jesus, right? Right? He just got, like, tortured to death. Um, he also spent his money to, you know, buy fabric um, to, to wrap his body. And he did the physical work of taking Jesus' body off the cross and wrapping it with care. Here, let's read about it. In, in Mark 15, 43, uh, it's 43 through 47. Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the high council and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, 
So he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph that he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth. Then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw where Jesus' body was laid. You guys, the generosity and love that was displayed by Joseph of Arimathea, I'm sure it was very appreciated by those close to Jesus. But even our best efforts to help, right? Loss is loss, death is death, it's final. But the happy part is, the blessed part, the extremely blessed part is that death does not have the final word on the matter. Jesus does. Jesus conquered death. Jesus rose from the dead. In Mark 16, uh, 9 through 11, let's read it. It says, After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. You guys, Jesus takes our deepest grief and he turns it to joy. The disciples who were swimming in sorrow, they were mourning. They would eventually believe Mary because they would see Jesus risen fully alive for themselves. His victory over death is everything. Our hope of heaven, the assurance that, grave is, that the grave is not the end, that Separation from death does not last forever. It's everything. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The end, right? That's it. Actually, there's a little more. That's what I thought, but there's a little more. You guys, in Matthew 5, 4, the Greek word that's used for mourning, it's the strongest word in the New Testament for sadness and lamenting. Um, it, ex it expresses loud crying or wailing in agony over suffering, tragedy, and sin. What? <laughs> you guys, the mourning that talked about by Jesus is both the grief the disciples felt after his death and it's the grief that we should feel over our sin. Hear me out on this. Sin is something we should take seriously. So use the loss and mourning that we experience physically when death, uh, when we lose someone we love. Look at it as a picture of what's happening spiritually. In the same way that death separates us from those that we love, sin separated us from God. The reality of our separation from God, um, it was equal in severity. It was just as final as like, when we lose someone to death. The separation there is devastating. And I'm not sure I've ever equally like thought about that. Um, I've been processing the emotions of walking through loss, and it's been a fresh revelation of how desperate this situation was that Jesus took care of for me. If Jesus had not paid the price for my sin, I would be forever separated from him. Our wonderful, an ever so loving God could not stand for the separation to continue. 
He, he did not want to be separated from us and he did not want death to be the end. The separation between me and God was caused by sin. And we don't like to talk about it much. It can be a bummer. But James 4 says this in verse 8 through 10. It says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Because of this, we should mourn our sin. Sin brings spiritual death. It separates us from God. James 5.16 says that we should confess, says confess your sin to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And remember when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, remember the Lord's prayer? Jesus models continual repenting of sin when he says um, in Luke 11.4, he says, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We need to be regularly bringing our sins to God in repentance, mourning them, acknowledging that sin is the cause of separation from God. Mourning our sin keeps our heart in line with the Father, giving Him free rule and reign to kindly prompt us of how we can follow Him better. You guys, regular repentance helps us in this. It's easy just to skip repentance and think, I'm doing better than most people, so I'm good. But I wanna challenge you here. If we wanna live how Jesus lived, think how he thought and do what he taught, we need to make repentance of sin a regular thing. So, blessed are those who mourn. You know, it's been God's plan forever to comfort us when we mourn and to restore our relationship to Him. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. God is so good to us. You guys, and in Isaiah, uh, he says this. He says, I've seen what they do but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn, bringing words of praise to their lips. May they have abundant peace, both near and far, says the Lord, who heals them. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea, which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. You see that end part? Those who reject God, are like the restless sea. When we reject God, we stay in the chaos. We stay in the separation. But that's not God's heart for us. He wants to turn our mourning into words of praise, into peace. We are so loved by the Father, and His heart for us is a bounding peace and a song on our lips. So whatever you're mourning, God wants to bring you comfort. He wants to bring you healing.
and he wants to bring you close to himself. You just have to be willing to let him. You just have to be willing. Blessed are they that mourn. Mourn their sin. Mourn their separation for God, from God, for they will be comforted. So I have four takeaways I want to send you off with, okay? First, if you're in mourning, the kingdom of God is for you. You're loved, seen, and cared for, and you will be comforted. Second, this week I want you to do whatever you can to comfort someone who is in mourning. Three, with the same urgency that you help someone experiencing a loss, reach out to someone who is separated from God with that same urgency. And last, make repentance a regular thing in your life. Repent of your sin, asking God to show you the sin in your life that maybe you didn't realize was there. I'm praying this week that you can live like Jesus lived, think like Jesus thought, and do what Jesus taught. Have a wonderful week. See you next time. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.